Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. Praise the Lord, I'm so excited to be back here. Um, Israel was talking about confirmations and... Um, Felt like Justin was preaching my message up there, and then you preach. We're on the same topic the whole service. I'm excited, and I I think that that's not just that 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 men have plans for today. I believe the Holy Spirit has plans for today, um, and we're just uh, we're following His script as as He speaks to our hearts. So I'm so excited. Um, uh, today, Pastor Cameron was um, in was uh, scheduled to be here um, speaking on um, small groups today, um, but he got called away on an emergency, um, and so I have a message for us today, and I'm very excited. Um, I will say, primarily, I deal with youth. Um, I am a youth minister, um, and so uh, usually when I talk to people, there's spitballs being thrown, and there's little tiny, you know, conversations and all of that, so um, I'm actually less comfortable with well-behaved adults than I am <laughs> with you. So feel free, if you have anything to say back, if you have a, you know, a, a, a wad of paper you want to throw at your neighbor, go for it. Um, that would help me deliver this message today. <laughs> um, let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I ask that you would be revealed today by your Holy Spirit. God, that you would speak to each and every heart, Lord, and that we would leave this place changed, transformed, encouraged, God, and closer to you than we were this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We are in Matthew 16, um, and pay attention to that chapter there, because we're going to be coming back over and over in this service to Matthew 16, um, if you have your Bibles this morning. Um, we are starting... Uh, uh, with an interesting story. Uh, it says Matthew 19. It is definitely Matthew 16. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Now when Jesus came to, into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So Jesus was causing quite a stir in the nation of Israel. Um, he was teaching amazing things, contrary things to a lot of what the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were, were, um, were teaching. He was performing miracles. Um, he was uh, extremely um, uh, different. And he was a profound individual, so much so that everyone in the nation was talking about him. And they were trying to figure out who in the world is this Jesus person. And everybody's got an opinion. Oh, boy, he really sounds like the prophet Joel. Boy, he sounds like Elijah. Boy, he sounds like, wasn't John the Baptist just saying something similar? You know, he's, they're trying to figure out who he is, trying to get their thumb on this Jesus person. And Jesus was a polarizing figure. Either you were for him or you were against him. Either you like you liked him or you, you hated him, right? <laughs> he challenged you or he challenged the things that you built your life on. Um, we're trying to figure out who Jesus asks. Who does, does people say the Son of Man is? In the next verse, Jesus says, But who do you say that I am? And I submit to you today, this is the most important question of your life. 
Who do you say that Jesus is? And I want you to know Jesus is not satisfied with you simply repeating and regurgitating facts that you've heard other people say about who Jesus is. He's not, uh, he's not satisfied with simply you repeating the Sunday school answers of, well, this is, this is what they said and this is what my pastor says Jesus is, right? Jesus wants an answer from us, from each and every one of us today, from your mind and from your heart, who do you say Jesus is? That's the most important question that we could possibly be pondering in our car trips to work at late at night, early in the morning. That's time well spent thinking about who, who do I believe Jesus is? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So Jesus, uh, so Peter nails it, right? P- Peter, and, and Jesus confirms, like, this is from the Holy Spirit. This is exactly right. Peter's saying, you are the Christ. You're the anointed one. You're the Messiah. You're the only begotten Son of God, right? You're the one we've been waiting for. Jesus goes on to say this. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Do you see what just happened here? Jesus gave the keys of the kingdom to this fisherman, this nobody of a person, just because he accurately identified who Jesus was. Just because he was able to say, you're the son of God. Right? Not, not a son of God. An a daughter. You're the son of God. Right? You're not an anointed one. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. And I believe Jesus is still today building his church on men and women who can, by the Holy Spirit, testify that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that's that's what the whole church globally is built on. That is what local churches are built on. Jesus, not on good music, not on good preaching, not on good Sunday school, not on donuts after service. You know, like, we, we build churches based on the knowledge of Christ, based on Jesus. He is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Scripture says he's the cornerstone. And if we can get the identity of Jesus right, he will hand us authority and power and victory and blessing, right? But if we get it wrong... Everything will crumble. Everything crumbles. In in America, right now, we are seeing a, a wave of people leaving the faith. Bit by bit, all at once, we have people exiting the faith. 
And I believe it's because they've built their Christianity on something other than the real Jesus. They've built it on religious encounters. They've built it on um, habits that they, they grew up with. They built it on cheap Sunday school moral lessons. They built it on behavior modification. They didn't build it on the real Jesus. And what happens is when life gets tough, when they experience hard adulthood, when their first major life crisis comes along, the, the Bible says the, the floods come up and, and the winds rage, the rains come down, and, and it's swept away, right? It's, it's swept away into the sea. Let me tell you, if you are building your life on anything except for the risen Son of God, you are one rainstorm away from destruction. That's that's the situation that we're in. Paul says in Corinthians that he resolved not to know anything while he was at that church except for Christ and him crucified. Actually, I think I have the slide for it. Darian, this is not working. There we go. Um, <laughs> um, there were, this means there, there were people who wanted to talk about other things. There were other topics that people wanted straightened out. There were disagreements that, that were happening. And Paul is like, I'm not going to get distracted on anything else. I'm staying on message. I'm staying on target, on mission. I'm, Jesus is the one thing I'm going to talk about. And what that means for the rest of our lives. Right? He, he was targeted. And I believe as a church, if we are going to be strong enough in order to, uh, to face the storms, the storms of culture, the storms of struggle and, and suffering, the storms of human philosophy, we are going to need to stay on message. We're going to need to stay on point. Stay on the knowledge of Christ. So that's what we're doing this morning. Jesus and only Jesus. I loved how every single song today was focused on Christ. Was focused on, thank you, Justin. Was focused on Jesus. Um, the name of Jesus was in every song. We were singing about the beauty and the majesty of, of his name and his glory and his reputation. It's so good. My hope is, today we're going to talk about three Jesus imposters, fake Jesuses that sometimes get snuck into our, our mindsets and into our hearts. And my hope is that as we reveal who Jesus is, that each of us would be reintroduced to the Son of God. And that we'd be able to not only build our lives, but then go out into the world and introduce others to the real Jesus. Number one, Jesus is not immunity from pain and discomfort. So this is, we're going to go back to Matthew 16, and we're going to pick up immediately after Jesus uh, gave the keys of the kingdom to Peter. This is verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. Okay, hold up a second. So, so the disciples, Jesus, or Peter uh, correctly identifies who Jesus is, and watch, now all of a sudden Jesus is telling him, his plans for the future. 
No longer is it like a, hey, here's some rules that you have to do. And, you know, here's what the kingdom looks like and everything. It's, this is what Jesus was talking about. He said, no longer do I call you servants. I call you friends. You know who I am, right? You know who I am. And so now I can share with you my plans. I can show you what is going to happen. From this time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And Jesus uh, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Peter thinks he's acting in faith here. Peter thinks that he's like, you know, like, I know you're the son of God. I know you're the Christ. There's no way no one could ever kill you, right? <laughs> right? Like, because death would be the worst possible thing in, in Peter's mind to happen to Jesus, right? That, w- that would be the worst possible thing. How often do we superimpose our, our values and our priorities onto God, Right? We assume that we know what the best thing is. And so that's what we pray for. God, I ask that you would solve this problem in this specific way with this specific person exactly like this. Thank you. Amen. Right? Like, <laughs> like as if like we know what's best. We know what's good. Right? The story of scripture is that over and over we have We have people calling good evil and evil good. We don't know what real goodness is. Like that scripture, right? But but so often we put ourselves in judgment over the Lord saying, saying, boy, God, what you you did there, that, that wasn't good. I don't believe that, right? A good God would do this. In fact, I don't even, I don't even need to read my Bible because I know what goodness would look like. I, I don't need to pray. I don't need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Right? Because I know what goodness looks like. Right? Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. How quickly it goes from, on this rock I'll build my church, to get behind me, Satan. It's like like six verses later. don't get prideful with the word of the Lord that you've been given, right? If God tells you a truth, right, that does not automatically mean that you're right about everything else, right? Right? It's not like, wow, I read something amazing in scripture. I'm closing my Bible. Don't ever need to read that again. Don't need to listen to Jesus. And now I can live my life based on that one experience, right? (laughs) The word of God is daily bread. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what does God feeding people regularly look like? It looks like manna from heaven that goes bad in the morning, right? Overnight, right? That goes bad in, in, in the afternoon. You have to wake up early, collect it, right? And that's what you get for the day, which is the exact same picture of what we need in our devotion time every day. It's not good enough to say, oh, I went to church. I've heard my 52 messages for the year. I know what Christianity is all about. And I'm able to, you know, I'm cutting myself loose from the church. I'm cutting myself loose from the Bible. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. 
Don't forsake meeting together. Don't forsake opening up the word of God. Don't forsake prayer. You need it. You need it. Jesus says, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. It was never Jesus's plan to avoid the cross. It was never God's intention for Jesus to to bypass the pain and the suffering and the persecution. Right? That wasn't the plan of God. More than that, it was God's plan for his disciples to follow in similar pain and suffering. In Peter's mind, the worst possible thing is suffering and death. And Jesus is saying, that is not where my priorities lie. We know of only one of the disciples that managed to avoid perse- uh, avoid dying a, a martyr's death. Only, only one of the disciples, church history records, dying um, uh, of natural causes, of old age. And that's the Apostle John. Um, but that's not because they didn't try to kill him. Um, the church historians, this blew my mind. Early church historians, first century accounts, have it that um, John the Beloved, who wrote Revelation, um, was boiled alive in oil in a Roman Colosseum. But miraculously, he did not die. And he preached the entire time he was in the pot. And the entire Roman Colosseum gave their lives to Jesus. God's plan for your life is not on pause when you're in the middle of pain and suffering. It's not like life is good and so God is with me. And when life is uncomfortable and painful, God is absent. That is not the case. In fact, some of the most powerful things God wants to do in your life are in the middle of your storms. They're in the middle of your pain and the middle of your suffering. God is, God is working. God never stops working. God's working on you. God is working in you. God is working for you. God is working through you in order to reach the nations. He doesn't stop. James 1 says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. Some of us that are going through a struggle, praying, wondering why in the world God hasn't stepped in and completely removed all of the trouble in our life. For some of us, it's because the Lord has not finished working on us. He's a refining fire. And boy, that fire hurts sometimes, right? He's like, boy, I, I, hold on. Keep, keep staying with me. Keep tapping into my presence. Keep listening to my Holy Spirit because there's more faith I want to build in you. There's more trust I want to build in you, right? And for some of us, we'll be praying for a specific miracle, a specific healing for our entire lives. And maybe we won't see that here on earth. But let me tell you, if we walk it through, 
with the Lord in perseverance, he is going to make us mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I would say that's a pretty good trade-off. Right? That is better than getting the miracle and ending up, ending up looking nothing like Christ. Right? Ending up not being holy, not being refined. Picking up again in Matthew 16. Sadness. Oh no. Then Jesus says, said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? And what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Our worst case scenario is not God's worst case scenario. Do you know? In our mind, worst case, we die. Right? In God's case, worst case scenario is we chase comfort our entire life. And we end up lost for all eternity. Right? That, that's what this is saying. The worst case scenario is that you gain the whole world and you lose your soul. Number two, Jesus is not just a good moral teacher. Um, I've been listening to a few atheist philosophers on various podcasts um, and on YouTube. <laughs> and they'll say things like, um, Jesus is the perfect image of what we all want to be in our lives. Jesus is the archetypal something, something of, you know, the, the better life. You know, and if we can just work to improve ourselves day by day, we can become something like deity. You know, we can attain this mountaintop image of what of what Jesus is. Right. And, and that's really all all Jesus is to the world is this is this good moral teacher. Um, we can improve our lives through. Through Jesus and. Jesus and other teachers, Jesus and other philosophers, Jesus and other education, Jesus and other prophets, right? We put the sayings of Jesus next to the sayings of Abraham Lincoln and Benjamin Franklin and Aristotle and Oprah Winfrey, right? It's like... Seriously, if you Google like like 10 best quotes... You know, <laughs> the world would love to minimize Jesus and say that, that he just had some really great things to say. You know, he, he's all about love. He's all about just loving each other. You know, and if we could just get love, you know, then we'd be all right. Love's all we need. You know, <laughs> say all religions are basically saying the same thing. You know, you know, Islam actually views Jesus as one of the prophets right up next to Muhammad that can lead us to God. Like, that's that's the teaching of Islam, is Jesus is just another teacher. Let me tell you, it makes a difference whether you're following Jesus or Muhammad, right? Or Buddha or Confucius, right? Or Dr. Seuss. Like, it makes, <laughs> makes a difference, He's got some good things to say too. 
Um, I love college and I think uh, people, you know, doctors and lawyers need to go and get educated and everything, but like higher education and professors are not going to be able to tell you what the meaning is of this life that we're living. Right? It's, that's not found there. Jesus doesn't leave any option for us to say Jesus and. He's extremely exclusive in his statements. He says he is the way, the truth, the life. And if you didn't understand it, he says, no man comes to the Father except through him. Right? He's the bread of life. There is no gluten-free substitute. Like, it's one. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. I love this so much. I am trying hard here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus, Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall on his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He's not left that open for us. He did not intend to. The Apostle Peter went before the Sanhedrin. I love it. He knows who Jesus is. The Sanhedrin was the like the supreme court of ancient Israel. Um, and by, it, the Bible says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he declared... Jesus is, and then he quotes Psalms, the stone you builders rejected, which has become the chief cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's nothing. He's either the Alpha and the Omega or he is nothing. He's either the only begotten Son of God or he's nothing. There's, there's no in-between here. Imposter number three, Jesus is not tame. Well, a lot of us, when we first learned about Jesus, we went to Sunday school and we learned about this, this Jesus that gathers all of the children into his lap, right? We learn about this Jesus that is the precious lamb of God. We even sing, Mary had a little lamb. You know, that song is about Jesus. First fleece was white as snow. They added all the other verses later, but, uh, like it's, it's sing-songy, right? And he's tame. There's no, there's no danger. Every Christmas, we take Jesus and we put him right back in the manger, right? In our little nativity, you know? And in our minds, Jesus is this, this uh, man being crucified on the cross, right? He's broken. He's safe. He's exactly what our human imagination would come up with for a good God. He stays within all of the boundaries of our ideas of, of goodness. We don't need to pray and read our Bible because we know what he would say already. Let me tell you, Jesus is the humble lamb of God, but he is also just as much the lion of Judah, right? He's fierce. 
He is fierce. He's not still in a manger. He's not a broken man on a cross. He didn't stay in the grave, right? And he's not staying in heaven forever. He's, he is currently sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. And he is waiting for the day that he comes on his white horse with his white robe that's dipped in blood with a sword coming out of his mouth with which he judges the nations, right? That's our Jesus. Revelation 19 says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. In the Old Testament, Isaiah says, He put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to what they have done, so he will repay wrath to his enemies and retribution to his foes. Jesus is not tame. He's not merely safe. He's the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And one day there will be a reckoning where the Lord will come in force to establish his kingdom. I think sometimes people view God as the almighty pushover. You know? That we can kind of just shrug off into eternity, you know? And yeah, yeah, Jesus, I know, but you'll forgive me. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, I know, right? But I, I got other I got other things going on, right? There's... We have this image of, of a Jesus where there's no danger in dealing with him. There's no, there's no danger. There used to be Old Testament scary God, right? But now there's New Testament nice Jesus, right? And, and Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. And, you know, let me tell you, the Lord is a consuming fire. The Lord is a consuming fire. And he is full of wrath towards the ungodly. Right? That is, that is what scripture tells us. And he will one day wipe out everyone that is not covered by the blood of the lamb. In many parables that Jesus tells us, he says that there's a ruler or a judge or a king or a master. And that person deals with different people. And the people that were unfaithful, the people that did not listen and did not heed the word were cast out in a place of utter darkness. Jesus says this place is a, a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's regret. There's sadness. Why is Jesus telling these scary stories? Because humanity's in danger, church. Humanity is in danger. Everyone on the planet is in danger without Jesus. He's the only way out. And that's why we're pleading with people. Right? The gospel's not like, you know, message number nine or ten on our, on our list of things to share with people. Right? It's number one. Number one, do you know Jesus? Number one, do you know when you're going to spend eternity? Number one, do, do you know God? Do you know the real Jesus? Matthew 24. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, 
up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. I meant to put this in red letters, so it's real clear. This is Jesus' words here. This is Jesus. Jesus is saying there's only one way out. Don't be with the crowd that gets destroyed. Don't be with the people that are taking the wide path. Come back to God. And when we come back, it can't be with a prideful attitude that says, I want, I want a God who will um, accommodate. I want a God who will accommodate me and my, my preferences and my whims, the things that I prefer. Don't be like Peter who thought he could rebuke the Lord. Jesus is not mistaken. Jesus is not mistaken. Come back in repentance and in humility. Ask for mercy and grace. Throw yourself upon the mercy of God. And let me tell you, the mercy of God is not greater than your sin. I'm I'm sorry. The mercy of God is not less than your sin. Bible says mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Though our sins were scarlet, they can be made white as snow. There's forgiveness available. But we have to see the real Jesus. We have to see the real Jesus. He's not immunity from pain and discomfort. He's not just a good moral teacher. He's not tame, merely nice. He's the Christ, the son of the living God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. And when it's incarnate by the Holy Ghost, who for us, gave his life, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. He's going to come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. And if we are looking to anything else except for the the Holy Spirit-revealed identity of Jesus, we're going to be swept away when the storms of life come because there's no other salvation. There's no other foundation. There's no other cornerstone to our faith. Can we stand together and let's pray. God, I ask that we would see you rightly. That we would see you for who you are. High and lifted up. Holy Spirit, do your work and testify to the identity and the majesty of Jesus. I pray that each one of us would be transformed in the knowledge of you that our ideas of Christ would be corrected. God, that each one of us would be able to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each one of us would be confident in testifying and prophesying of who Jesus is. Jesus, come build your church on the foundation of who you are. Build us up together. Unshakable. Whatever storm may come, may we stay planted on your life, your resurrection, Lord. God, that we would have a 
a unified message to the world. We wouldn't get distracted about all these lesser things, all of these other things. We would stay on point, stay on message, God. Christ and Him crucified. Lord, help us. Lord, help us. Help us stay rooted and grounded in your love. In your love, Lord. In your mercy, Lord. We thank you, Lord. God, that you've not cut us off. God, but by your Holy Spirit, God, you're changing and transforming us day by day. You've given us hope, Lord. We love you. We love you. We love you. We're grateful for hope. We're grateful for change and transformation. Keep us in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.